Thank you for joining us for another life-giving message from City Church Now in Progress. All right, so uh, this is week one of our four-part series that we're calling Squad Goals. It is part of our Relationships or Relation Slips series. Again, this is an annual tradition. We've done it every year for the last seven, uh, almost eight years. I think this is our eighth year. And uh, the, the theme of this year's Relation Slip series is Squad Goals. Somebody say Squad Goals. Uh, I have a 14-year-old daughter, and that's the language of this current culture. Now, that, that, that phrase or the understanding of that phrase has evolved over time. For those of us who are a little bit older, and if you grew up in the 80s, instead of Squad Goals, you would say something like, that's my posse. Right, right. Uh, those are the kind of words we would use. Uh, maybe today you might say that's my tribe or, or you might even say something like that's my peeps. Right. Same idea. But it goes beyond just the idea of having a squad. Uh, the, 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 the phrase squad goals is an aspirational term. It means I've seen something in others that I aspire to or that I desire. All right. You might see someone in a picture. You might see Harry and Malak. And you might say relationship goals. Yeah. Uh, the whole idea of goals is that it is aspirational. You see something that you admire and something you would like to emulate, some, something you would like to imitate. So simply put, squad goals is simply this. Check this out. Squad goals or a squad is simply the group of people that you choose to do life with. That's your squad. Everyone in this room should have a squad. I'm talking about the people who choose, uh, and I want to say this specifically to challenge those who choose to live in isolation, because first and foremost, that is not God's design for your life. God does not want you to live in isolation. In fact, that is uh, the work of the enemy, because everything God creates, Satan counterfeits. There is something that God created called solitude. It is okay to steal away. It's okay to have your Sabbath moments. It's okay to be alone. But it is not the plan of God for you to live in isolation and with retreat and withdraw from the very people that God has sent into your life to help to nurture and enhance your life. So everybody in this room should have a squad. Everybody should have someone else that they have chosen to do life with. In fact, this idea and concept of having a squad is nothing new. Throughout history, there have been great examples, especially in pop culture, of fantastic, amazing squads. Uh, uh, we're going to put a couple of them on the screen that will kind of give context to our discussion. Today, we're going to maybe tap into a little bit about the marriage relationship, but really what I want to focus on in this first message is really about healthy friendships. That's what I want to talk about. Now, some of the principles will translate and they will overlap and they will touch other interpersonal relationships that you have. But today, but today, I just want to talk about how to foster and nurture the right friendships. Scripture is crystal clear about it in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It says, do not be misled. Ray Harmon translation, don't get it twisted. Bad company corrupts good character. That is a statement about squad goals. And it, it, it infers to us that if we are running with the wrong people, it will corrupt even the best of us. So choose wisely. 
Because the people you run with, the people you roll with, your squad, your posse, they have the ability to either positively influence decisions you make or negatively and adversely influence the decisions you make. And we're going to look to the text shortly to see how we can build a squad that will bring great glory and honor to God, but will also help us to be much better. Let's look at a couple of famous or maybe infamous squads through the years. Y'all ready? Here's the first one. I'm sure y'all recognize this one right here. Y'all remember these guys? The Rat Pack. Come on, somebody. Frank Sinatra, Sammy Davis Jr., Dean Martin. What's the other guy's name that nobody knows? Joey Bishop and Peter Crawford. Good job. Fantastic. These were the guys who, man, like in the before Las Vegas was like Las Vegas, when Las Vegas was still becoming, these were the guys who set it off, right? Uh, squad goals right here. You want people like this in your life. Here, here's another one. Here's another one you guys might remember. Y'all don't know this one. No, 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 check this out. You got to be old school. You got to be old school to appreciate this one. I see some of y'all smiling. Come on, somebody. Cooley High. If you're a child of the 70s, then you know Cooley High, one of the baddest squads to ever, ever be on screen, circa 1970-something. I'm aging myself. Evelyn shook her head. You don't know Cooley High, girl? What? Anybody else remember Cornbread Earl and me? Come on, we go way, way back. I know. Anybody in the room remember Dolomite? Only two of you. <laughs> okay, all right. Yeah, yeah, I know, right? Okay, so let's, let's keep another great squad, infamous squad, squad goals. We're talking about squad goals. Anybody remember this squad? If you're a child of the 90s, grew up in the 90s, right here, uh, Martin and his crew. Here's another. If you watch Fox on, was it Wednesday night? What night was that? Anybody remember? Monday night, Thursday night? Uh, whatever it was. Then you watch Living Single. That was another uh, outstanding squad. But wait, there's more. Who else we got? Another squad uh, right there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, 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 what was it? Must See Thursday on NBC. Was that NBC? The Friends, one of the, the most popular squads ever, right? Squad goes right there. You want to do life with people that you enjoy, right? Uh, let's see who else we got. Let's see who else we got. Uh, one, of my, one of my favorite squads right there, y'all. <laughs> Y'all like that one. I can see everybody. One of the best squads ever. Ocean's Eleven, one of my personal favorites. So I inserted that one because that is one of my personal favorite squads. I think the last three I put up there really for my boo, for Pastor Wendy, because these are three of her favorite squads. I think it's the last three. I'm not sure. I may have gone out of order. But who we got next? Who we got next? I think it's Pastor Wendy's favorite. Right there, new edition. Uh, uh, Pastor Wendy. Absolutely loved. Yeah, new edition. We were in Hollywood uh, in November, and we were searching everywhere, man, to find that new edition star, man. And we finally found it. And she got a picture at the new edition star. She got to meet, with, meet them a few years ago, and uh, she was like, Ralph, <laughs> you never wrote me back. Said, I was the one who sent you all those letters on the pink letterhead and the pink envelope. And he was like, right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. It was a precious moment for Pastor Wendy. Uh, that's 
her favorite squad, New Edition. Who else we got? One of her favorite squads. Anybody know who these guys are? Yeah, yeah. Come on, somebody. Five Heartbeats. You got to go back to the 80s. Uh, old school, Five Heartbeats. Great movie. If you haven't seen it, go and rent it if you can find it. Uh, I think this is the last one. Last one, and then we're out. Oh, this is the last one? Oh, my bad. Okay, so uh, anybody understand what we're talking about? Squad goals. Uh, life is too short to live alone. And we see that in pop culture, uh, the importance and the necessity of having a squad, people you do life with, but then also we find that in the text. Uh, we look to the example of Jesus and how Jesus did relationships and how he chose the 12 men who would walk closest to him. Uh, these 12 men would have a front row seat to the life of Jesus. In fact, in Jewish rabbinical tradition, there was this phrase that they used, and it was simply this, may you be covered with the dust of your rabbi. And what they meant was a disciple was supposed to walk in such close proximity to his rabbi that he would be covered from head to toe with the dust from his rabbi's feet. What we're about to witness here in Mark chapter 3, I believe it is, our anchor text, is Jesus, or Mark chapter 1, inviting 12 men into his life to have a front row seat, to see everything about him and to know him intimately. May I offer to you this morning that that is sort of the tension that we find in every relationship? That is, there's always this element of risk, inviting someone into your life and allowing them to see you that closely. Always risky. And so most of us do relationships at arm's length. We give people the Heisman. I'll let you get close enough, but not so close that you get to see all my scars, all my flaws, all my shortcomings, all my missteps and my mishaps and all my mistakes. But Jesus, as we're about to discover, is about to invite 12 men into his life. They will be his close associates for the next three and a half years as he goes on to change the world. Amen? So let's dive into the word together. I believe this is Mark chapter 1. Is this Mark chapter 1 or chapter 3? I think I sent you the wrong verse. Or whatever it is, we're going to be reading at verse number 13. Okay? We're going to be read, begin reading at verse number 13. Uh, before I go any further, I've got to say this. Because one of the commitments that I made to the Lord uh, uh, at the end of last year and we, as we transitioned into 2019 was simply this, God, I will be faithful and I will be true to your word. The truth of the matter is you cannot be popular and powerful simultaneously. Most of us compromise what God instructs us to do and what God instructs us, instructs us to say because we want to be popular. And I made a commitment that, God, I will be faithful and true to your word. I will speak it. I will declare it. I will teach it just as you entrust it to me. Now, this is what I know. Whenever you do that, whenever you do that, there is this 
phenomenon in psychology called cognitive dissonance. There are some of you who are therapists in the room and you understand exactly what I'm about to explain to you. Uh, As we share these principles about relationships, they will challenge you. Some of them will challenge you to the core. And when you are confronted with a new idea, a new set of principles, it will challenge your core beliefs. You say, Pastor Reed, what do you mean? So check this out. Cognitive dissonance in the field of psychology is simply this. It is the mental discomfort. Come on, it's going to get a little uncomfortable in the room as we rediscover God's word. It is the mental discomfort experienced by a person who simultaneously holds two or more contradictory beliefs, ideas, or values. This discomfort is triggered by a situation in which a person's belief clashes with new evidence perceived by that person. That's what the scripture calls renewing the mind. Uh, Cognitive dissonance happens when my Long-held beliefs are challenged and confronted with the truth of God's word. And I believe that not only over the next four weeks, but as we approach God's word, there are some things that will be challenged to the core. But here's the good news. That's where the transformation happens when we embrace the truth of God's word and push beyond the cognitive dissonance. What that means is I have to be willing to trade my experiences. I have to be willing to trade my preferences for the truth of God's word. Because my preferences alone are unstable. They are shaky. I don't care how long you've done it. I don't care how many people are doing it. If it doesn't line up with the word of God, it has a shelf life. And may I even venture to say, it may even be counterproductive and produce results in your life that you really don't want. Everybody sitting in this room, including Pastor Ray, has their core beliefs. Here at City Church, we call it our marinade. It's whatever you've been sitting in your whole life. Some of y'all got steaks marinating in the fridge right now, and as soon as you leave here, you're going to throw it on the grill. Whatever that steak sits in, Whatever that marinade is, the steak begins to take on that same flavor. And can I tell you, sometimes it's hard, maybe even impossible, to unmarinate the steak. Everybody in this room, everybody in this room has their own marinade. I'm going, I'm going to get to the message here in a second. But before I go any further, I have, to, I have to lay the groundwork. None of what I'm about to say is going to help you if you insist on holding on to core beliefs that are inconsistent with God's word. I am inviting you to push beyond the cognitive dissonance, the discomfort that you will feel when you are confronted with the truth of God's word. Because my marinade and your marinade is whatever you have normalized in your life. But just because it's normal to you doesn't make it right. Anybody listen to me? Just because that is normal for you and your family doesn't necessarily mean that it's right. And the truth and the light of God's word comes into our hearts to to challenge, to expose, and to invade the cognitive or to create the cognitive dissonance in our lives so that we can be better. A true story. A friend of mine, German descent, was of German descent. He invited some friends over. And 
they had been over before, and he made this sausage thing with potatoes and the whole nine yards. And, and, but whenever he made the sausage, he always cut off the ends. He chopped off the, the ends. And, and, uh, so just, uh, just out of curiosity, one of our friends asked him, he said, hey, man, why do you always cut off the ends of the sausage? Uh, I've always done it that way. So, well, why do you do it? Say, I'm not sure, but that's what my mom did. So he calls up his mom. Say, hey, mom, look, I'm making, I think it's, he called it goulash or whatever it was. He said, man, I'm making this goulash. Let's call it goulash. And, and I'm putting this sausage in here. And uh, hey, look, mom, you always chop the ends off the sausage when you made this meal. That, why, do you know why you did that? And his long pause on, is you know, I'm not sure, but that's what mom did. So they, he calls grandma. He said, grandma, why do you cut the ends off? He was curious, man, because now there's this cognitive dissonance happening. And he said, grandma, why why'd you cut? She said, oh, what's a German word for child? Anybody know? I'll just make up one, Fräulein. <laughs> I know it means woman or, oh, my Fräulein. <laughs> um, when we were little, and this is World War II business, right? All we had was this tiny pot. And the sausage couldn't fit in the pot. In order for the sausage to fit in the pot, I chopped off the ends. generationally, they're doing stuff that they learned that once upon a time had a purpose but no longer has a purpose now. But that's their marinade, though. That's what they have normalized in their family. Whenever you cook sausage, cut off the ends, and they don't even know why. Whenever you cook the sausage, cut off the ends, even if you have a big pot. And there are a lot of us right here in this room right now who do relationships based on what we inherited and what was passed on to us and never even challenged it, never even questioned it, and it became our marinade. Everybody in this room got their own marinade, and the marinade is made of at least four ingredients. It bears repeating. I'm going to repeat it. I know you heard it before, but I'm going to say it again. Everybody got their marinade. At least four ingredients that over the next four weeks we're going to challenge. And I encourage you, if you're a first-time guest with us, don't just come today. I encourage you, give us, just kick the tires here at City Church for at least four weeks and see if we don't grow on you. After four weeks, we'll let you go, but we'll follow you to your house. No, I'm just teasing. I'm just teasing. I'm just teasing. I'm just teasing. So, so marinate. Ingredient number one. Y'all ready for this? Y'all heard it before, but it bears repeating. The first ingredient in your marinade that will be challenged is your environment, the conditions into which you were born. You know that I'm originally from Liberia, West Africa. So the conditions into which I were born were totally different culturally and otherwise than the conditions into which my wife, Wendy, who was born in Michigan, uh, were. Totally different conditions. Uh, But your environment, check this out, City Church, your environment will determine what you are exposed to. Because of the environment into which I was born, it determined what I was exposed to, what I saw, what I heard. Your exposure will determine the third ingredient in your marinade, and that is your experiences. 
Because what you're exposed to over time will become your experiences. What I experienced growing up in Liberia, totally different than what my wife experienced growing up in Ypsilanti, Michigan. Now, here's the kicker. Your environment determines what you're exposed to. What you're exposed to determines your experiences. But your experiences become your expectations. Good or bad. And so you take two people who come together, and they have two very different marinades. And all of a sudden, you got one marinade here, this other marinade here, and everybody's coming to the table with expectations that are based on their own marinade that may or may not line up with God's word. Here's another word for marinade. We call it baggage. Baggage. And if we're going to do relationships well, (laughs) we have to navigate through the baggage we, we bring and the expectations that we place on others that are unrealistic. I told the men in Fight Club, listen to this, when it comes to expectations, uh, expectations must first of all be clearly communicated, not assumed. Just because it's your normal doesn't mean I know what you're talking about. So don't expect something of me that you have never clearly communicated or articulated. That's your marinade. We don't do that in Liberia, even if you did it in Ypsilanti. Are y'all listening to me? Number one, if it has not been clearly communicated and articulated, don't expect it. Because you are assuming that the person that you are in the relationship with understands and knows the ingredients in your marinade. I make my marinade different. I saw somebody online yesterday and they had a whole debate about chili. He's from the South and the question was, do you put noodles in your chili? I'm like, I ain't never heard or seen that in my life. The problem is he's married to a woman from Indiana. And his wife chimed in and said, yes, in Indiana and the Midwest, we put noodles in our chili. Well, that part of the Midwest, because she's from Indiana. Are y'all tracking with me? Here's the second thing I told the men. Here's the second thing I told the men. If it has not been clearly articulated, uh, then you're only making assumptions. Uh, The second thing I told them, that it... Uh, it must not only be clearly articulated, but it must be agreed to. Let me tell you, I've been in full-time vocational ministry for 20 years, 20 years plus, depending on how you count it. And when we sit down across from couples, these are the things he said, but I told you, but I told you, but I told you. And the truth is, there are a lot of things that we say into people that they didn't even agree to. And we expected of them. And we expected of them. So, you have entered the realm of cognitive dissonance over the next four weeks. Jesus 
And the word of God is going to give us the blueprint, is going to give us the framework for healthy relationships. But you and I must be willing to allow our core beliefs to be challenged once, once we're exposed to new information. That's what it means to renew the mind. That's what it means to renew the mind. So y'all ready for this? All right. Uh, Lord have mercy. It is Mark 3. Okay, so here's our anchor text, Mark chapter 3. This is Jesus on relationships. And the text begins uh, with these words in verse 13. And it says, and he, Jesus, went up on the mountain and called to him, listen to this, those he himself wanted. Now, why, why is that significant? It's significant because there were multitudes who followed Jesus. Hundreds. Some commentators even suggest thousands. But in this moment, Jesus is about to choose the 12 men that he will entrust the future of the church to. But notice what he did. He went up on a mountain and he chose those he wanted. Every great squad, every great squad must be chosen. Uh, well, Jesus, I thought you loved everybody. How come if you love everybody equally, y'all see that hand moving? <laughs> How come if you love everybody equally, you ain't about to give everybody the same access to your life? Just pump the brakes right there. Because all friendships and all relationships are not created equal. The problem with most of us and how we do relationships that ultimately backfire is we see the multitudes and we say everybody has unlimited access to me. When not everybody deserves to have that kind of access to you. Because there are people you will encounter in life who, number one, are not unworthy, who are, who are not worthy of your secrets. And by entrusting the wrong people with your secrets, you set yourself up for disappointment. Notice Jesus had multitudes following him, but he went up to the mountain. If you read the account in, in Luke, the scripture says that Jesus went up to the mountain and spent all night in prayer. Uh, listen to me. It was not just some random or casual decision. Jesus spent all night in twelve in prayer. He had all these men following him, and he knew that out of all these people who followed, he was going to give only 12 a few good men access to that level of intimacy. Can I tell, first of all, tell you that, again, let me reiterate, not first of all, let me reiterate, that maybe, maybe the challenges you're having in relationships is because you've invited the wrong people to the table. Can I go a step further? That even though Jesus had 12, he also had three. 
and the three saw things that the other nine never experienced? Thank you. My beautiful wife isn't here. Sweating like Bishop Jakes. Get ready, get ready, get ready, get ready, get ready. Y'all saw what I did there. That was good, wasn't it? Yeah. What was I talking about? Listen, listen, listen. One of the lessons that I've learned in life is if you'll be selective, you'll be more effective. Jesus was selective in the people he chose to sit at the table with him. If you're going to build a dream team around you, you've got to be selective. Listen to me, it's not because they're bad people. It's not because they're bad people that you say no. You say no because they may not be able to handle an up-close and personal look at you. I promise you, not everybody in your circle is in your corner. So be selective. Jesus withdrew himself from the crowd and picked 12. Number one lesson we learned from Jesus is that Jesus was selective. He chose the ones, listen, listen, I want you to listen to the language of the verse. He called to himself those he himself wanted. Now notice the invitation was reciprocated. The scripture says, and they came to him. Can I just throw that out as well? That not everybody you invite to the table will accept the invitation? because of how they perceive you or because of how they misperceive you? Don't, don't, don't let that bother you. Don't let that bother you. Do not let that bother you. In fact, there's some of us who tried to be friends. You did everything you needed to do. You bought gifts, took them out. They didn't want to be bothered with you. Just keep it moving. Jesus chose them, but they also had to choose him. Isn't that what the text say? And they came to him. Didn't have to. Didn't twist their arm. And I'm wondering, for most of us, what, is, what are the criteria for your relationships? What is the basis and the foundation for the relationships that we fight for, that we pursue? Is it to be part of a clique? Is it to fit in? Or is there some much higher purpose? Uh, I, I, I'm going to get there, and I'm going to go fast with it. Uh, uh, so the first thing Jesus does is that Jesus is selective. Number two, in choosing his disciples, again, it wasn't random or haphazard. Jesus was also attentive. If you're going to select somebody, you at least know something about them. Y'all say this with me, because I meant to say this early on. Uh, be attentive, but y'all say this with me. The world is filled with imperfect people, and I am one of them. 
just level the playing field. So if your selection is based on finding perfect people, uh, can I say that that is a, an impossible pursuit? Let me tell you the criteria for your squad. Don't look for perfect people. Look for healthy people. And can I say this? Can I say this? That while we're looking for healthy people to hook up with, can I say that the primary factor in every relationship is not a healthy them, it's a healthy you. Cognitive dissonance alert. The problems we have in relationships. The problems we have in relationships usually come from us, not them. I don't care how many people you surround yourself with. If you ain't healthy, if, you ain't, if you're toxic, I don't care who you got around you. Everything you hear through your toxic filter will be insufficient. And that's why Jesus gives us this rule of, of relationships, and this is what he says. He said, number one, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. Number two, love your neighbor as who? Listen to what Jesus was saying. Jesus was saying it is impossible for you to love your neighbor if you haven't first discovered how to love yourself. If you ain't healthy, you can't be healthy in relationship to your neighbor. And until you and I learn to love ourselves and realize that we are complete in him, I don't care what you put on, how many earrings, how much makeup, how much designer clothes, who your squad is, there will be an emptiness in your life. I hope y'all hear that. If, if, I'm not going to go down that road. Be attentive. Notice what Jesus said. Notice what Jesus said in John chapter 1, verses 43 through 48. John chapter 1, verses 43 through 48. Man, y'all quiet on me in this Presbyterian church. Woo-wee! I warned y'all that you were entering a cognitive dissonance zone. Listen, listen. Great friendships begin with a healthy me. Let's start right there. Great relationships, great squads begin with a healthy And one of the toughest things to do in life is to look at the man in the mirror and say the problem ain't all these people. Maybe the problem is I'm incapable of loving these people the way they need to be loved because I don't like myself. That is a powerful, powerful realization that maybe I've got some work to do with me. That the world is filled with imperfect people, and I am one of them. And instead of looking around for people to fill that, I need to fix that. Mm, all right? So Jesus was selective. Second thing Jesus was, he was attentive. So if you're going to pick friends, it has to be a result, the result of observation. 
It has to be the result of observation. If you're going to give people that level of access to your life, be selective, but make sure you are attentive. Notice what John chapter 1 says in, in verse 43. This is Jesus. It says, the following day, Jesus wanted to go to Galilee, and he found Philip and said to him, follow me. There's the invitation. He invites Philip to follow him. Now, Philip was, was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said to him, can anything good? Listen, listen. If you are not a healthy you, those kinds of statements about you will make you go crazy. Listen to me, listen to me. If you live for the praise of men, you will die by their criticism. And that's why Jesus could invite this guy to the table. He's about to invite this other guy to the table. He could invite him to the table even though he misperceived him because Jesus was a healthy Jesus. And didn't allow what people thought about him or what they didn't understand about him to define him. That's where most of us live. We want only people in our lives who, who, who get us. I like Philip's response. He said, no, 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 no. Hey, dude, just come and see for yourself. You're making assumptions about this guy because of where he's from. But come and see for yourself. Ah, yeah, 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 yeah. I wish I had time to work this thing a little bit. Notice, uh, verse 47, uh, Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, listen, this is Jesus. He sees Nathanael coming. And notice what Jesus said. He said, behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Hadn't even met Nathaniel. But he saw Nathaniel coming toward him and he said, I could be friends with that guy. Now, what was the basis of that assumption or the basis of that statement? Notice, notice, notice Nathaniel. Nathaniel's freaking out. How, you, hey, man, you don't know me. What are you talking about? We've never met. Why, why are you saying that about me? Notice, notice Jesus' response. Uh, 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 so, so, so Nathaniel says, uh, 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 verse 48, Nathaniel said to him, how do you know me? And Jesus answered and said to him, before Philip called you, when you were still under the fig tree, uh, let me tell you one of the qualities to, to great friendships is be a noticer. Be a noticer not when you're trying to be their friend, but be a noticer even before they become your friend because there are things you will see them do at work, in the neighborhood, the way they are with other people that will determine whether or not you will allow them to have that level of access to your life. There are most people just open the door to them maybe because they look like you, talk like you, vote like you, and that's going to be my friend. But you haven't even taken the time to observe their character. Long before Philip brought the tanner, Jesus said, man, I already saw you when you're under the fig tree and didn't even know I was watching. I was watching you. You're going to have a great squad. Be like Jesus. Be selective. But also be attentive. Uh. Now, man, I'm, I'm, look, 
I am loaded. I am loaded this morning. But I'm going to let y'all go early. I'm going to let y'all go early. But let me just say this. Uh, Great squads are chosen. But here's point number two. Great squads are transformative. They are transformative. They are transformative or transformational. Notice verses 14 and 15. Notice verses 14 and 15. It says, then he appointed the 12. Notice for what, for what purpose? That they might be with him. And then number two, that he might send them out. What was the first order of business with Jesus and the relationships? His first order of business is just come and be with me. Let me ask you this. Are people, or let me put it this way, are the people in your life better off having been with you? Because they come and they're with Jesus and Jesus says, just hang out with me and just be my friend. And as a result of that, you're going to go out and do these amazing things. My question is, as you're choosing your friends, are you asking them the question or are you asking yourself the question, is this going to be a transformative or a transformational relationship where I get better as a result of them and they get better as a result of me? Remember, the barometer and the litmus test for great relationships is, are you, not a perfect you, but a healthy you? And most times we invite people into our dysfunction. We invite people to our Dysfunction. And you've heard the old adage, misery loves. Let me tell you, what comes out of a relationship that is built on misery? Two miserable people getting together. No, anybody give me an answer. Two miserable people getting together will produce what? Absolutely nothing good comes out of it. So the question to ask is, will this relationship be transformational? In fact, the onus must be on me to say I will be healthy so that as I engage this person, their life will be better as a result of having connected with me. And my hope is that if I'm going to invest in this relationship, my life will also be better having crossed paths with that person. Most of us don't even think that way. So how do we do that? I'm not going to get through my message. I'm going to just give you these three points quickly. Right here. Uh, this is how you begin to develop transformative relations. Man, y'all quiet on me, man. <laughs> y'all, are y'all still with me? Y'all, y'all tracking with me. Man, this is good. And again, I encourage you. This is just an introduction. Uh, my wife, she's loaded too. She's going to be with us next week. Uh, um, what was I saying? Three points. If you're going to be transformative and you're going to have transformative relationships, this one is for all the men. I want all the men to hear me right now. I want for you to listen good. Listen good. Whether you're single or married or engaged, whatever your status, here it is. If you're going to have transformative relationships. Man, this is earth shattering. It is so earth shattering that you might miss it. Because it's so obvious. 
It's so obvious. If you're going to have transformative relationships, be present. Yeah. I'm not talking about just being in the same room as the other person. <laughs> I'm not talking about sitting at the same dinner table for the, to the, with the person you invited. Hey, let's grab lunch. Let's grab coffee. And for one hour, both of you are sitting at your phone texting and emailing and posting stuff on social media, and there is no conversation, meaningful, transformative conversation that transpires. In fact, now, uh, when, I, when my family would go out to lunch, dinner, I leave my phone in the car. Because if I'm going to go out with my family, I'm going to be present. And most of us don't have transformational relationships because we confuse proximity with intimacy. You can be in the same bed with that joker and still be lonely. You're not listening to me this morning. I'm talking to Fight Club this morning. Be present. Be all the way present. Fully engaged. Let me tell you how you do that. Can I just give you a couple pointers before I wrap up? I'm going to do Fast and Furious, so y'all can go watch that Super Bowl that ain't nobody in that you like playing. Yeah, I'm being real petty about it this morning. Y'all can post it and say hashtag petty pastor. Oh, I almost forgot. I almost forgot. I have... On my person. Today's football Sunday. Some of you wore your jerseys, man. I've got, check this out. You are going to be, look, you ain't even got to spend your money. All right. Uh, I got a $50 gift card to, if you're going to a tailgate party, Super Bowl party, uh, somebody's going to win that card and you can use that $50 gift card to go buy whatever you want from Buffalo Wild Wings. But you better place your order with a quickness. I'm going to get back to my message. Two years ago, man. <laughs> Y'all ready for this? It, probably more than two years ago. You know how you, how you, you, you're, you want, like, you, you got a taste for something. It was Super Bowl Sunday, man. Any fans of Wingstop lemon pepper chicken wings in the house? Come on, I see hands going up all over the building. Man, I got one right next to my house. I got home, baby. Only thing I can think about, I'm salivating right now talking about it, y'all, was them lemon pepper chicken wings at Wingstop. And to my dismay when I called them. It's probably about four hours before the Super Bowl. Sold out. So if you're planning on ordering chicken wings from anywhere, if you ain't ordered it already, they probably got enough orders where they are sold out and they are not accepting any new orders. That's just a little bit extra. got nothing to do with the message, but I thought I would tell you anyway. Okay, I promise you. I promise you. I, I'm wrapping it up. I'm wrapping it up. Be present. Be present. What does that mean to be present? Not just proximity, but intimacy. Here it is. If you're going to be present, you must focus on being interested instead of being interesting. Man, y'all just need to pass the offering bucket one more time 
on that one. Let me tell you, let me tell you where we mess up with relationships. We try our best to be the most interesting person in the room. So we're constantly talking about ourselves. We're constantly talking about how good we are. We're always trying to give people a reason for why they should like us. Do you see me? Do you see me? Do you hear me? When the best relationships, the best squads are not built on people who are trying to be interesting. It is built on people who are just simply interested. Here's what that looks like. Man, it's so easy to talk to you. I could talk to you for hours. Catherine laughing. You know why? You know why people say that? Because the person across the room is a good listener. Because the person across the room is not trying, the person, the person sitting there listening is simply interested in what you have to say. And all of a sudden, that person has ascribed value to your story. They've ascribed value to your problems. Because they're not trying to tell you, well, this is what I did, and oh, girl, if I, they just simply are interested in you. And let me tell you how you get great relationships. Don't try to impress nobody. Just be interested. Be all the way present. Uh, Pastor Wendy and I first got married, been married 18 years. You all have heard the story. One day, I'm watching a game. Pastor Wendy was in the kitchen cooking. I was exhausted. I was on staff at a church where we did, at the time, four services, I think. Three or four services, I forget. Four. Four. And y'all don't know this, man, but Pastor Ray used to have some vocals. See? Still got him? I don't know if you want to hear him now. Perry Dana can tell Jesse, Pastor, I, I do need to work him out. That is true. Pastor Ray has some vocals, man. I cut my teeth in ministry as a worship pastor. You got, don't show it to him. Chuck knows too. We got songs we've done together back when I could sing halfway decent. Worship pastor for two large churches, thousands of people. And that day I came home, man, I was exhausted. We were probably about, how, how long have we been married? About 15 months, a year, year and a half, somewhere in there. And Pastor Wendy came in. Did you turn off the TV or no? She stood in front of it. I knew there was some kind of blocking, some kind of obstruction that happened that day. Y'all know how y'all do, ladies. No, no, no. That's been years. This is early on. And so she sorry to express what she was experiencing from me. And this is what she said. She said, Ray, I... I know you love me, but I don't think you like me. I'm talking about being present. Say, I know you'll do whatever you need to do. You'll break your back for our family. You'll do whatever is necessary. But, man, I I really don't think you like me. Man, that thing haunted me for years. And then one day we took this personality profile. I'm talking, I'm talking. Y'all can play around with this stuff, I'm telling you. But for those of you who have relationships hanging by a thread, I hope you listen. I told you that everything we're going to talk about is going to introduce cognitive dissonance. It will challenge the way you've always been. 
And if anything's going to change in you and your relationships, you got to be willing to change what you have called normal. And so uh, two years of Hanami took this personality profile. And uh, 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 I'll just give you the overview. Uh, uh, Pastor Wendy scored as a high influencers. Uh, the high influencers filter is are we relating? Are we connecting? Everything about Pastor Wendy's life goes through that filter. Are we relating? Are we connecting? That's not my filter. My primary language is a contemplator. And the contemplator's filter is does this interest me? If it doesn't interest me, I tune it out, not on purpose, but it's the way that I process. So here we are two years into marriage. Wendy's like, I know you love me. I don't think you like me. Because at the time, Pastor Wendy was teaching. She, she's taught in the public school system, or she taught back then, had taught 12 years in the public school system. And sometimes Pastor Wendy would come home, and we're having dinner, and she would want to tell me about some of the things that happened in her class that day. The details. And the truth is, as those words were coming through my filter, as much as I loved Wendy, it didn't interest me. And there was the disconnect. I wasn't interested. Even though we were sitting at the same table under the same roof. And if you're going to have quality relationships, number one, you have to be all the way present. Focus on being interested. I'm interested in what you have to say. I'm interested in you, not what you can do for me. But I'm interested in you. Stephen Covey says, seek to understand before being understood. Most of us go into conversations and we want for people to understand, understand what I got to say, understand what I got to say, understand me. Under, and, and no, 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 no. You want to be understood, but you're not taking the time to understand them. Number three, if you're going to be present, be willing to let go of your agenda. Because I would venture to say that most of the conversations we have start with an agenda. And most times we want to win people over to our agenda. We're trying to fix them. We're trying to push our objectives. And here's the final one because I have to close and I hate that I have to rush through this. I hate that I have to rush through this, but we'll pick it up next week. This, this is not original with me, but if, you, if you've done any kind of premarital counseling, if you've, if you've studied any kind of psychology, human psychology, you've probably heard the name John Gottman. Uh, we've taught uh, from Gottman and we've talked about the four horsemen of the apocalypse in any relationship. He talks, John Gottman in one of his books talks about Paying attention to the other person's bid for emotional connection. This is where I'm going to close. Pay attention to the other person's bids, their requests, their hinting at a need for emotional connection. And he did this years-long study, just a one-year study, years-long study, and he just observed families around the dinner table. And over the period of the study, this is what he discovered. The marriages that failed 
had approximately 60 bids for emotional connection around the table. A bid for emotional connection could simply be looking at someone, holding their hand for prayer, trying to engage them in conversation. They only had about 60 bids for emotional connection over a 10-minute period. The marriages that lasted and that flourished had at least 100 bids for emotional connection. Check this out. In a 10-minute period. That means in a time span of 10 minutes, they were making these bids for emotional connection. My question is, how many of us are in relationship with people who are crying out to connect? But we're so distracted that in a 10-minute period, we don't realize they've reached out to us a hundred times. Y'all not listening to me today. And that is where we're missing the mark. Because every time someone reaches out to you with an e- a bid for emotional connection and you ignore it or you miss it because you're so distracted, guess what you've just done? You have made a withdrawal from your love bank. You have made a withdrawal from the love bank. They reach out to you, try to touch your hand, you pull your hand back. They try to rub your back, you shrug. Or you just sit there stiff. That is a bid for emotional connection that you have just rejected. And it is the very glue that makes for quality relationships. Somebody talking to you and you looking over their shoulder, looking over their shoulder, not in their eyes. I'm talking about quality relationships. This is not just for marriage. But if we're going to have great squads, it begins with a healthy me. And every healthy person is first of all selective they're also attentive and the way I'm attentive is I have to pay attention to those bids for emotional connection so here here's I promise you this is where I close promise you this is where what psychologists say okay so we got the love bank every time I miss a bid for emotional connection I have just made a withdrawal And then I miss another bid for emotional connection. It could be verbal or nonverbal, and I've just made another withdrawal. And then I miss another bid for emotional connection, and I've just made a, again, a hundred times in ten minutes. (laughs) Because those bids, when that person is reaching out to you and say, baby, do you see me? Do you hear me? Do you notice me? Do you love me? A hundred times in ten minutes. But let me tell you the danger, because psychologists say every time one withdrawal is made, there need, we need to make seven positive reinforcing actions to negate the effects of one withdrawal. See, Pastor, what are you saying? I am saying that most of us walk around in life and our love bank, our relationship bank is overdrawn. There is a seven to one ratio that we are missing every single day. And we're trying to say, man, what's going on? What's the problem? Why aren't we connected? Why are we, we're missing those emotional bids for connection. And every time I miss one, I have to make seven positive deposits. Just to bring the account back to zero. Just to, just to bring the account back to, not even to get it to black, just to bring it to zero seven times for every one I've missed. And I'm, I implore you, City Church, I implore you, I implore every husband, I implore every wife, and this is not just true in 
uh, uh, marital relationships, even with our children. One of the reasons I stopped coming to Fight Club is one day Levi walked in the room and said, Daddy, are you going to Fight Club again? Because you know I'm by vocation. I work nine to five. And when I get home, I take him to karate, and then he goes and takes a shower. Then he had to go to bed. And on Saturday morning, he wants to connect with Daddy. But Daddy got to do sermon prep. Daddy got to do this. And when I get home, when he goes to bed, I do city church stuff. And so one morning he said, Daddy, you got to go to city, got to go to fight club again. And I told Stephen Jones, I said, hey, man, I'm going to be ghost for a minute because I don't want to ignore my son's bids for emotional connection with his daddy. That's my son saying, Daddy, I need you. And guys, we can get so focused on saving the world that we lose our children. Because I realized I was making withdrawals from my relationship bank with my son. And for every withdrawal I made, it would require seven more positive reinforcements just to get the account back to zero. Let me pray for you this morning, City Church. I didn't even scratch the surface of the message this morning. I promise you, I didn't even touch it. There's a whole bunch of other stuff that I got to talk about. We'll do that next week, and my beautiful bride will be with me. Talisa, I know your ankle hurts. Why don't you sit down? Sit down here. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I'm going to end this message where I started. My wife and I made a commitment that 2019 will not be a popularity contest. We will honor God's word so that we all can be better, so that we all can be the best version of ourselves. So, Father, I pray that you will seal your word in our hearts today. We hope you enjoyed today's message. For more details about City Church and for other resources, visit us online at www.citychurchtv.com or contact us via email at info at If you were encouraged or inspired by today's message, we ask that you prayerfully consider partnering with us financially, either in a one-time gift or as a monthly partner. No gift is too small. We have three convenient ways for you to give. Via our website at citychurchtv.com backslash give. Via text, text citychurchtv and the amount that you would like to give to 77977. By mail, mail your check or money order to City Church Global Ministries, 8105 Razor Boulevard, Box 90, Plano, Texas, 75024. Once again, thank you for downloading today's message. We look forward to connecting with you soon.